This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCastNet. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I am Scott Robinson. And I'm Dave Hanlon. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing one spell. With the careful gaze of the Gregory, we discuss Monte Cook's second design diary. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. In the careful gaze of the Gregory, we discuss an aspect of the Invisible Sun RPG in detail. This time, we're going to talk in depth about Monty Cook's second design diary about acquiring different abilities with different experience points and how those systems are going to work in the Invisible Sun RPG. If you would like, you could, of course, go straight to the show notes uh, to get a link to the actual discussion, uh, but those... you'll be able to read the original text. But we've got uh, a couple pages of information here about how uh, Monty Cook is currently thinking about the experience system, how characters progress, and what sorts of currencies are used to progress characters uh, in Invisible Sun. It, it might be worth starting, as in fact the design diary uh, does, with uh, some reminder of how ex- uh, experience points work in the Cypher system. Uh, though it will not work exactly the same way in Invisible Sun, since it's not technically a Cypher System game. So in the Cypher System, you have characters progress through a series of tiers, and to progress from one tier to the next, you uh, characters have to buy a parallel set of advancements. You have to advance your skills and effort, abilities, and your pool points in parallel, and only once you've advanced each of those do you move up to the next tier. Uh, Dave, what's what's been your experience with this uh, progression system? Have character have uh, players, I should say, liked uh, this system for their character advancement? Uh, I think for the most part, it's worked out pretty well. Um, it's uh, the the thing that we always ran into with the cipher system was, you know, do you spend your experience points on advancement or do you spend it on rerolls? Uh, and there are also other short-term benefits that you can spend your experience points on uh so you can spend two or three experience points to do things like set up you know you know purchase a contact that you can use uh as part of the story or you know purchase like spend three experience points to build an artifact that you can use uh over and over again uh rather than spending uh four experience points to make your way towards the next tier uh, but for the most part, um, I, I've played the Cypher system more than I've actually run it. Uh, and I've never run a long, long-standing long campaign of the Cypher system. Uh, so I don't really have a whole lot of experience as a GM judging how my players are reacting to it. But as a player, I've always found the advancement system in the Cypher system to be, you know, pretty straightforward and, like, fine. I guess I, I don't think it's awesome, and I don't think it's bad. I just think it's good. Yeah, and there isn't a discussion here about how uh, or if 
the the experience currencies we'll talk about in a little bit can be used for short-term benefits either for rerolls uh, or for just ge general short-term benefits like these artifacts or the other ex examples you gave. Uh, it mm -hmm. focuses exclusively on experience points for character building purposes, but it may be the case that there are, that those options will exist in this game in, in, in some form or not, but it, it's not uh, discussed here. But it is a fun, I think it's kind of a fun part of the uh, cipher system and certainly in the spirit of Invisible Sun and how uh, players... Uh, seem to have a lot of authorial uh, authority. That is, you know, they can kind of make stuff up too and uh, help the GM by creating parts of the world. Uh, in the Cypher system, that's sort of monetized through the XP system by saying, mm -hmm. oh, well, I'll spend a couple XP and say, oh, by the way, I have a contact here. I, I would be shocked if there wasn't something similar in Invisible Sun, but it's not really discussed in this design diary. No, it's not. Um... And the more that I read, uh, I, I guess I have a few thoughts about, you know, now we've got two design diaries, uh, and I'm, uh, I'll, I'll get back to that later. But uh, it it doesn't look like the the players are getting opportunities. It looks more like Monty is designing the system to say to the players, you know, take the reins and steer this. Don't just you know, don't just wait for the the GM to, you know, provide you with the opportunities. Like, make them. Absolutely, and, and that is something we'll definitely get to in a little bit because that's a big part of this, uh, a later part of the system. Yeah. When we talk about the how one gets these currencies. The other part cool. of the cipher system I wanted to point to, as for purposes of comparison, is in the strange, uh, more so than in Numenera, uh, there were some efforts to segregate different types of, of, of abilities to become either uh, uh, type abilities versus focus abilities. Because in the strange, you may swap out your focus, but your type and your descriptors stay the same. So they, they seemingly uh, tried to make fo uh, focus-related powers easier to swap out, uh, less often including uh, bookkeeping, that you have to add you know, pool points or reduce pool points or do all this sort of stuff. Uh, there's okay. exceptions to this, but they, they tried to make it the, the focus more easily uh, you know, modifiable. Uh, and as a result, those powers are just different. And, they, uh, and that separation uh, is uh, kind of an interesting part of the system. And we'll see, I think, a, a more or less direct uh, refutation of that approach when we talk about what Monty says is motivating his design for the experience system for Invisible Sun. Yeah, I hadn't thought about uh, how the Strange was setting up foci and how they swap out with each other. Mm -hmm. um, I've only played one shots of it, so it, it, it happened fairly infrequently for me. But yeah, keeping the foci simple so that you can swap them out, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, in, in my uh, home campaign, uh, we eventually got to our fourth or our fifth recursion, and especially since we were running in Roll20, and so it got rather complicated swapping in and out, uh, foci, uh, updating all of the different characters and all the character sheets for different, because they went up different tiers and all of that sort of stuff. It became pretty complicated, um, and I think they tried to limit how complex it got by by putting some boundaries around what foci powers were. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're not really using that approach here. Uh, but we'll get into the approach that they're actually using, I think, <laughs> and a, a more interesting discussion uh, with those comparisons in mind. 
Cool. Uh, if we had to sum up the entire uh, design diary, I would say uh, it's it's Monty Cook saying, oh, by the way, Invisible Sun is going to use a point-by system uh, rather than a character-level system. Oh, right. Uh, so there are tiers and whatnot in the Cypher system, but over here, there are no discrete tiers. You will right. just be so, buying abilities as you go. Right. So instead of, as in the Cypher system, moving up, and, and as you increase your tier, you're getting more type abilities. So you're, you're, you're being a better vector, and you're being a better um, uh, nano, uh, and whatever your, your type is. Uh, you're also becoming better at your focus in the Cypher system, and those mm-hmm. opens up new tier abilities. Uh, and sometimes your the name of your focus really doesn't make much sense for the first two or three tiers when the you don't get your big powers that are really the defining characteristics of your focus until much later. Mm-hmm. Well, that's basically a level system. It's not it's not called a level system, but it is very similar to a level system. Yep. Uh, with Invisible Sun in the in the design diary, Monty Cook explains that's not the model they're going with. Uh, instead, with Invisible Sun, they want to just say you buy abilities. You will use your experience currencies to buy new skills, new powers, new abilities, new spells, and you just buy them and add them to your character. There isn't necessarily a summary that says, oh, your character has moved up from tier 4 to tier 5, and therefore you add these things. Instead, you'll just be buying more stuff as you get more experience. Yeah, and I think that lines up with you know what he was saying as the Kickstarter was running, that you would be able to focus on what you were interested in and you would be able to build your character to do the things that you wanted to do. Uh, so if you're buying this stuff piecemeal, you can say, hey, I really want to focus on my order and I want to advance through my order. And the way you do that is by you know just spending your experience points there. Uh, whereas with the Cypher system, like as you get better, you just get better at everything. Right, and you have to, and there's a throttle in the cipher system. You have to get more skilled. You have to get more pool points. You have to get more effort, and you have to get more abilities to go up to the next tier. So if you don't mm-hmm. care about skills, you still have to buy them. Uh, you still have to. Um, expi- uh, so yeah, you're going to get better, and you're going to go up in tiers. Uh, but there are levels here. There are levels on the abilities that you're purchasing in Invisible yes. Sun. Yeah, and that's part of why they don't want to call it a level system for the characters. It's not character level, but it's yeah. still a system in which all effects have a level. And so you can tell how hard something is to do or to defend against based on its level. But you don't have character levels like you might in Dungeons & Dragons, where you could say, oh, I hit level 5, now I get this really cool new ranger ability. Mm-hmm. Or in the Cypher system, I hit Tier 3, which in all Tier 3 people with this focus get this new ability. Uh, th- this, yeah. this is going to be more of a, a piecemeal point-wise system. Yeah, and I think uh, just to illustrate how the levels might function, uh, there's a, a sentence in the design diary where he says, a level 3 spell is at least in some way equal to a level 3 ability gained from a forte and a level 3 ephemera and a level 3 ritual. Mm-hmm. So there are levels across all of these different things that you're going to be picking up, and they're all going to have some sort of, you know, power that you can equate to each other. Right. So a level three magic bolt spell is going to be as hard to resist as a level three punch or yeah. a level three ephemera um, wand zap or something along those lines. 
Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the actual specific currency. So there's uh, three currencies, four, depending on how you count. There I would, is. I think I would say four. Yeah, there's uh, two of them add to the to a, a third, so that's how you get from from three to four. Mm-hmm. Uh, the basic currency is called uh, acumen. Sounds like a, you know an easy substitute for experience uh, yes. and skill. Well, he, uh, he does say it's the closest analog to XP. Right, and it's not clear it's that different from XP. You use it to buy uh, what's described in the uh, design diary as new spells, skills, or abilities, which mm-hmm. is pretty much all the stuff. I guess by omission, it doesn't include things like contacts, but I, I I don't want to take too literally any omissions from that list. It sounds like a lot of things you would buy with XP and other systems, you would buy with Acumen here, uh, and it's just a point. This is the points that you use for your point buy system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, that's pretty straightforward. The more novel and probably uh, the uh, more novel part of the system that require more discussion, uh, will inspire more discussion, is the rest of the currencies that are all related to each other. Um, Wait one second. Yes. Let's go back to Acumen real quick. Um, Because the sentence says you buy spell skills and abilities unlocked by learning secrets. So does that mean the abilities and whatnot are unlocked with secrets or are you gaining acumen by learning secrets because when we get into the other experience point systems uh i think we have a pretty clear understanding of how you get those so how about acumen i think it might be both that learning secrets might develop might help you develop acumen but you may need specific secrets to unlock specific spells skills or abilities okay yeah and, and this go ahead this might be tied into what is described later as non-mechanical requirements for advancement. Okay. And that just having the oh, points isn't yes. enough, that you need story elements to explain your advancement. An yeah. old-school example of this uh, is that you, in, in under some interpretations of early editions of Dungeons & Dragons, when you went up in a new level as a spellcaster, you didn't necessarily know any new spells. You had to go mm-hmm. find or buy those spells. Um, some hardliners would say that you know buying a spell itself is is contrary to tone in the game. So you better go keep adventuring and killing stuff and stealing its uh, and, and stealing their their hordes until you find that fireball spell. Because just because you can cast fireball doesn't mean it's in your spell book. It's a uh, it's an interesting ideal to aspire to, but I don't think eh, well I shouldn't say I don't think anybody's interested in playing like that anymore, but. I think there's ways you can you can you can include that to, to taste within the game yes. and say, uh, sure, most of the time you'll be able to buy your your abilities with acumen, uh, but there may be some that, especially if they tie into character histories or the character arcs that people are trying to to tell, um, they may willingly accept gates or barriers that they're going to have to overcome because that is the stuff out of which stories emerge. And that is a way that you could generate the other types of experience. Absolutely. So the other types of experience, uh, I think, are best represented by a little equation that joy plus despair equals crux. Mm-hmm. 
that there are, so it's two currencies, joy and despair points. And these are represented by tokens in the box, apparently. And if you spend one joy and one despair, that creates a single crux. And the crux is actually what you pay in order to advance your order or your forte. And yes. advancing an order or a forte has different implications. So advancing an order makes your core ability more powerful uh, and can provide a new ability. So, so if I was a goetic, mm -hmm. then I could summon more powerful demons. Yes. If you're a maker, then what you create will be better. If you are a vance, it might increase the size of your brain map and allow you to cast more, uh, to remember more spells. Mm-hmm. Or make you uh, access to new sets of spells. Did we cover all the orders? I, we're, we're forgetting one of the major orders and then the apostates. Uh, no, there is... Uh, Maker, the, Goetic, Vance, Apostate. I, I, I think there's Welcome one Welcome to the more. podcast, people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we haven't covered those yet, so we'll keep them a secret until we cover them. Because we've, we've yeah. only discussed uh, Vance's, I believe, uh, on the podcast Weavers, yes. And I believe that's the set. Yeah, so Weavers, you might be able to start weaving more and more effects into your spells. Um, yes. So anyhow. <laughs> There's a lot to a lot to this game that we're trying to remember without actually having the game in front of us. Yeah, so please bear with we, us. This is like our first recording after the holidays. It's been, it's been a long time. Yes. Demon tryptophan. Uh, advancing a fort forte has different effects on advancing an order. Advancing a forte gives you a new ability and improves your base statistics, which would be Certus and Qualia, which we talked about last uh, of these segments. I'm betting it does not include advancing hidden knowledge. Yeah, hidden knowledge seemed to come across as more of a, a narrative like measure. Right, and it was distinguished in that original design diary and kind of said, this works differently. And I believe... <laughs> that one of the ways it works differently is it will advance differently. It won't be mm -hmm. something you can buy with a crux. Possibly. Um, there, there's another thing about advancing through orders that is mentioned in the article. Um, I forget which order it was. It might have been the Vances that required um, a mentor of sorts to help you advance through the order. That was so one of the examples... Right, an example of how one might generate or might have received joy was to be a, be presented in front of the council of the Vances. And that would be, well, how do you receive joy and despair? Um, within the game. <laughs> and, it, 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 and it depends on... Yeah, I'm not talking about in life. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I meant uh, you, you receive them in the game based upon uh, the nature of your particular character, because different characters may be tied to different experiences and interpret them as joy, different experiences as joyful or, or cause for despair. Okay. And it may be based on your order. It may be based on your forte. Uh, it might even be based on, on your foundation or your heart, for all we know, uh, in part at least, to help define what do you think of as being good for your character. One of the examples in the, the design diary of being something being good for a character is being introduced to the council and having this mentor. And so that, that, that makes sense. Um, a maker may find a new uh, plan 
like the schematics for a new device, uh, that might be a joyous experience for a maker, but you know, Vance may not care about that. So I was looking at uh, the ways you get joy and despair as something that is handed out by the GM for the most part. Uh, I guess I hadn't really thought about it as this situation seems like a very momentous occasion for my character. Shouldn't my character be getting joy because of this? Or I'm introducing this sort of complication for my character. This isn't going well. Give me despair, please. I think it is that, um, and it, it can. It, it, they, the design diary does note that joy and despair can be either player or GM initiated. So the GM might say, "Oh, well, now's a good time for us to have uh, a, a little, to allow a little bit of joy in this story. So let's have something good happen to your character, and that's going to be a, a, something specific to that character and what the character wants, so that when it when it is experienced, it generates joy." On the other hand, the GM might say, oh, okay, I think it's time for something bad to happen. Uh, let's take that thing you like and crush it, or whatever it may be. And that's a GM-initiated source of despair, which sounds an awful lot like a GM intrusion. Yeah, and I was thinking they both sounded like GM intrusions, because uh, GM intrusions, most of the time when you think about them, they are uh, bad or something difficult that you need to overcome. Uh, but there are GM intrusions that could just be interesting or even positive. Absolutely. Uh, so when I was reading through this, I was thinking, oh, joy and despair are something that, like those are tools in my toolkit as a GM that I would be handing out to players to say, hey, this task, this thing that you're trying to do is much more difficult because of this. And here's despair for it being harder. Um, but I could see that maybe it's a bit more complicated than that. Right, or, or you could you know, recognize that these characters have succeeded at something and award them a joy if, it's some, if they've succeeded at something important to their character. Uh, but what's, I think, broader in Invisible Sun than the Cypher System, though a lot of people have house world the Cypher System to do the same thing, you could have player-initiated despair. That mm-hmm. is, a player, as it notes in the design diary, might say, um, I want this bad thing to happen. I think it fits our story as to what's going on right now for this bad thing to happen. Oh, and it will generate a despair for me. So the player can initiate failure. Yeah. Um, another example of that uh, that he has in the article is maybe one of your PCs decides they want to avenge their murdered brother and fail earning despair. Uh, so when I was reading through that, my interpretation was uh, one of my characters says, hey, I'm, I'm tired of sitting around and not taking action on, uh, you know, whoever it was that murdered my brother. Like, let's go do this. So, all right, now we have uh, a session or a few sessions where they're going through uh, and trying to, you know, avenge their brother and it doesn't work out. Now they get despair because of it. Right, and it's not clear from the language of the design diary whether the only way for players to initiate failure is basically to initiate an action that happens to fail because, say, of bad die rolling, or if players can actually go all the way to describe the failure from the beginning and say, 
uh, I'm going to describe, uh, you know, tell the story for a little while, and I'm going to tell the story of how I went to avenge my brother and failed to actually achieve this vengeance, uh, and that will and describe how it is that I generated this despair. Yeah, and I could see players wanting to fail at things so that they could get that currency, so they could get the despair. Yeah, it reminds. I, I believe it is Dungeon World uh, and some other. Uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games that have built into them advancement by failure. That mm-hmm. when you fail a role is when you can mark a little something on your player, your character sheet, and that is effectively experience points that you can use to cash in later to become better at things. And the the thermostatic uh, implication is. As you become better, you fail less often, which slows down your progression because your progression is based on failure. That's an interesting. That's an interesting system. I like that. Though the sense I'm getting from Invisible Sun is instead the joy and despair uh, mechanic allows both the player and the GM to play with uh, the sort the sort of upbeats and downbeats of the story. I'm using the the language uh, I, I'm borrowing from Robin Law's book Hamlet's Hit Points, which mm-hmm. I really can't recommend strongly enough. Um, it's a book about designing RPG games uh, and adventures, really more adventures than setting or, or than you know systems, in a way that matches the sort of lessons of storytelling in screenwriting and novel writing and the like. Because Robin Laws argues it'd be a very boring story of uh, five people get together to go on a big quest. They travel uneventfully across the, the, the land. They see three orcs and stomp them. They see four orcs and stomp them. They see eight orcs stomp them. They get the magic sword, return, save the village, and everyone goes home. That's all upbeats. That's all a sequence of good things happening to the characters. <laughs> and that'd mm-hmm. be boring. And it would know, be kind of relentless to have the opposite of five characters get together. Um, they try to travel to, uh, to, to the Lost Temple, but they get stuck in the mud. Um, they, they do eventually escape the mud only to find that they're lost in the wilderness. Then they find that the Lost Temple's already been sacked. And then, you know, there's a series of, of, of bad things happening to the characters is similarly boring um, and uh, dispiriting. So he argues that any good adventure is a combination of upbeats and downbeats, and that the essence of a good adventure is pacing of upbeats and downbeats. A mixture, in the language of the design diary, of joy and despair. Mm-hmm. And this allows both the players and the GM to contribute to the pacing of the upbeats and the downbeats. Yeah, I, I'm really interested to see if this is going to encourage you know, players to really push that narrative a lot more. Because that would be great. I would really like that. I, I get every sense I get from these design diaries is this is going going to be even more along those lines than the cipher system. Uh, the cipher system was for me really an, an important introduction to giving GMs and to a lesser extent players more access to the narrative directly, mm-hmm. less worrying about concrete rules uh, for all situations, and instead a much more narratively focused game than I was used to coming from kind of D and D and D and D like games. Um, <laughs> this is moving even more in that direction. Uh, towards more of what we might call now indie-style story games. And yeah, I, but, I, but not I like all systems. the way over there. 
Yeah, I like systems to a degree, but uh, as a GM, like rules are garbage and just throw them out. Like, just yeah. let me do this interesting thing, and here's here's some you know points for you guys to play with. Like, and it'll be interesting to see if the rules provide incentives that are calibrated to make sure that both at the adventure level we have the combination of upbeats that is joy generating events and downbeats that is despair generating events to provide for interesting adventures mm -hmm. but also since these are tied to character advancement it suggests that characters character arcs really are a combination of upbeats and downbeats so you have to balance along your character's advancement the uh, joy and despair that they are experiencing uh, and that's just a whole different way of thinking about adventure design and character development and the system <laughs> of, a, of an RPG that, frankly, I know I'm going to be struggling to get my brain around for at least the next year. <laughs> um, I, I know I'm going to feel a little bad when I have to make my, my players fail at things that they're trying to do. Uh, and I know, I know some players are going to be a little bit frustrated at first when they realize... Uh, like if our understanding of joy and despair is at all accurate, uh, once they realize, oh man, you mean, you mean I can't just do everything perfectly? I can't just succeed at everything. Ugh. They they want they say they want that until you actually give it to them. If you say okay, you you succeeded everything, they'll get bored pretty quick. <laughs> So uh, hopefully your your game your players are mature enough to recognize that they that they want to you know they they want to fail sometimes but this might make it easier or kind of a softer landing for those failures if mm -hmm. um, they can have a role in choosing how they fail. Yeah, and and that idea would be really cool, and it makes a lot of sense given what was in this design diary. And it reminds me also of a system from the from Fate. And uh, you know the Dresden File games and some other games that are that are based on the Fate Engine. The Fate Engine has a, a mechanic called Compels, where every character has an aspect. I won't go into great detail in the system, but basically think of it as a a characteristic of your character, an attitude or something about the character that's that defines them that can be both good and bad. Mm -hmm. And the character can say, "Oh, well." This aspect means I'm particularly good in this situation. Like, let's, let's say the aspect is itching for a fight. That's the sort of language they often use for these aspects. Itching for a fight might mean, oh, I'm pretty good. I, I, it's really hard to surprise me because I'm always itching for a fight. I'm always looking for the fight. And so the fight rarely surprises me. So I might use that aspect to make it easier for me to succeed at avoiding surprise. However, the player or the GM can say, oh, but since you're itching for a fight, in this particular situation, you might act more aggressively than you should, and as a result, have penalties or fail at a particular social interaction because you are itching for a fight. Yep. And the system allows the players to initiate that. I believe the system even allows other players to say, you know, hey, Dave, aren't your, isn't your character itching for a fight? In yeah, that I case... You know, it, it uses those when, when a player initiates it, it generates a currency for them that they can use later, much mm -hmm. like, say, despair. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, getting getting rewarded for failing definitely makes that a bit more interesting and a bit easier to, you know, get into as a player.
Right. And with the fate system, it's not necessarily rewarding failure, but rewarding embracing mm-hmm. complications. Yes. And, and that's how I would probably interpret it with in the Invisible Sun, just as I interpret GM intrusions for the cipher system. I'm not necessarily forcing something bad on the characters. I'm forcing something to complicate and make more interesting the story. And sometimes they even turn that to their advantage, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting to note the design diary, while talking about how one advances forte uh, and order, doesn't talk about advancing heart or foundation. And that, I mean, that might not be too much of a surprise. Those might be permanent characteristics um, of your character, and thus they might not have any meaningful advancement. Yeah, that that's kind of how I was interpreting them. Um, like your your clever Jack, like you don't really get more bonuses from advancing from clever. Yeah, you don't get even more clever. Yeah. Uh, though I could I could imagine a system in which if if heart represents all of the aspects of your background, was that harder foundation? Uh, I think that's foundation. Foundation, yeah. Okay, if foundation represents all of your background, uh, then you could kind of explore and expand the role of your background and its its impact on your current situation over time. And so it could become more more powerful. Um, though again, there's no indication in the design diary that will happen. I just I could see narrative ways it could be built into the system. Similarly with heart, which is sort of your essence, I guess. Mm-hmm. You you could tell a story about getting more in tune with your own essence and understanding yourself better, and that could be like advancing your heart, but there's no indication yet that those things actually advance. So this is even more speculation, uh, or, or if speculation was a continuum, this is farther down the speculation continuum than usual. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know about uh, Heart and Foundation. But perhaps we'll find out when uh, we get the design diary talking about uh, character arcs. Right, right. So uh, as of now, at least, I have failed to convince you that it would be really interesting to have advancement mechanisms for heart and foundation. Uh, That's okay, because I I failed to convince myself yet. It's just something I'm playing with in my mind. It's interesting, um, but I'm not going to speculate too much. Do you have any concluding comments or reactions to the design diary? Um, well, after our discussion here, joy and despair, I am interested to see how those actually play out. Um, I was thinking of them more as you know GM rewards for intruding on the players in one way or the other. Uh, but now, yeah, they definitely seem like they're they're going to be more... Uh, a shared resource that the player and the GM are going to sort of collaborate on and hand out. Yeah, and I, I, my reaction is uh, that the ga- it's it's like the line from from two thousand one. You know, my God, it's full of stars. The more I learn about the game, the the more the game has. <laughs> the, it's yeah. there's so much in this game, and I see a bunch of connections between different parts. And a closer connection between these mechanics and narrative design, um, and uh, it's fascinating to me. Uh, and so I, I really enjoyed this design diary. My only concern coming out of the design diary is this could get complex. And I'm, some of the players I may try to recruit for the playtest have never played an RPG before. Um, 
I don't know if this is a, this is an RPG that is designed for new players. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily one of the design goals. Um, but I may have extra explaining to do if I bring in new players to this particular game. Uh, but given how interesting the game is, I think it might be worth the investment of that extra <laughs> extra time. Um, it, it, it does seem to be getting more complicated the more we read about it. Uh, and I had that same thought. But uh, I don't know. With uh, the Cypher system and I, like Monty Cook's design philosophy, it seems like he's trying to build systems that are interesting and can be compo- can be complex but can also be very easily picked up and played yeah and, and uh, another kind of encouraging part is, is i think it's this notion of joy and despair uh, is a rather elegant way to tie character advancement into an incentive to tell good stories mm-hmm. and that is again it's fascinating to me uh, it has tremendous potential, and so even if it's a little bit of complexity, it might provide us access to parts of the game that reduce complexity later, because a lot of complexity is about patching holes in the system. And if this gives us access to the narrative, an incentive to play with the narrative, it might mean that a lot of the complexity we're used to in other parts of the game aren't necessary anymore. We won't need mm-hmm. to trick adventure design and encounter design into including downbeats or trick characters into trying things they might possibly fail at because it's already built into the system the, the system for advancement. Yeah, and that that would be great. Yeah, well, we, we will see. Uh, but right now, I think we are left with a, a, an interesting design diary, and now we can just eagerly await uh, the next design uh, diary uh, can't possibly drop soon enough for my tastes. Well, hopefully we'll get one next month. It seems like uh, that might be the the pace that they're coming out. Yeah. I don't know if I can wait that long. <laughs> well, until next time. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at drscottrobinson on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. Uh, and if you if you like what you hear, uh, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We hear it helps people find our show. Uh, or else, tell a friend about the show, which is another great way to get the word out and get more people listening. 